0: What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Hour on the road, live from Canucks training camp here in Whistler at the beautiful Meadow Park Sports Center. It's myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who of course also covers the team for the Athletic. Drancer, we're in a rink. We are looking at Canucks personnel participating in official team on ice activities. Sorry. It feels, good. feels not, good.
1: Not just Canucks personnel. So it's Canucks
0: goalie, legends.
1: It, it's goalie ice for another 15 minutes here, right? Thatcher Demko and the club's 2022 second round or seventh round pick, Ty Young, who was really good in Penticton in his one start, by the way, um, are getting worked on. It's down low drills. But yes. these down low drills, the shooters are Henrik and Daniel Sedin with Mikhail Samuelson. All of whom, by the way, look like they'd crush the VO2 max, right? <laughs> like these are not like X players the way that you know you yes. sometimes think about X players. These guys all look like they could run a you know uh, the the gross grind in thirty minutes. So um, he's having a tough time, but who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Like, this has got to be the most skill. Plus, these guys played, like, two seasons together as a line. Uh-huh. And Samuelson was basically back-to-back 30-goal scorer. Like, this is the most talent you'll see any coaching staff warming up a goalie have. And you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> you they're, can tell. They're
0: basically running like a 3-on-0 cycle. Right. <laughs> when it started, I think it was even Henrik from the corner feeding to Daniel by, kind of by the face-off circle for shots and a rebound drill for the goalies. Uh, so I think
1: like, you might need to work uh, on I your I might, I might recognizing I might twins to. from a distance. But
0: it was, yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's just the Sedins doing their cycle thing and getting <laughs> shots on you. Not, not
1: a bad way. With, with no defenders and from point-blank range. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Demko's probably not going to allow another goal this entire <laughs> training camp <laughs> session after that because... I mean, this is this is a ridiculous amount of coaching talent on ice here, as yeah. as Daniel Potts, another and undefended of course, from uh, the slot. Of
0: course, goalie goalie guru goalie coach uh, Ian Clark on the ice, uh, yeah. putting the goalies through the paces as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All Star Team, Avenue and douglaslakeequipment.com. Equipment And uh, we I guess we've taken the Kintech Studio. Uh, mobile for today it's temporarily relocated to Whistler we're coming to you live from the Kintec studio Kintec footwear and orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1500 five-star Google reviews find your perfect fit at Kintec.net as always 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line and it's it's fantastic to be here Drancer I can't wait to see what transpires over the course of the next few days uh, in Whistler, there's fans here in the stands because it's open to the public. In about 10 minutes, we'll see the skaters for the first Canucks group hit the ice. And you know me, I love me some line combinations. I love me some line combinations. And the best thing about today, Dranser, is we have honest to goodness, official lineup. Details well, to talk about and chew over, and it's, we have it them. Feels so, good.
1: We have them so early, right? I mean, <laughs> and we don't have to wait for them to hit the ice. No, 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 no there's no race between Batch and I today. It's a printout. Uh, it's been publicized. It's been tweeted by the Canucks officially. Brendan Batchelor tweeted it the moment he got the paper in his hand. Uh, You can check all of that out, of course. Twitter.com slash Sportsnet650. They're retweeting all the pertinent intel. Um, Honestly, though, I can't take my eyes off this this, uh, two-minute drill. Honestly, I've never seen something so cruel. These guys are just absolutely lethal. It's outrageous. Anyway... Let's talk lines, yeah, because so, because unfortunately that's a visual that only I'm enjoying and not our listeners.
0: Well, no, it's it's uh, it's theater of the mind. Trent, so, so we're setting the scene. Some, some surprises, though, I think, not in terms
1: of line combinations, but just the very structure of training camp. The club's really rolling with no AHL group, right? Yes. Usually you have three groups at training camp, but the third group is like decidedly American League. The head coach usually doesn't even step on the ice with that group. Uh, usually it's the head coach of the AHL affiliate who steps on run sort of an AHL, like an advance of AHL training camp for some of the guys who are clearly going to be looking to build chemistry and play together, uh, you know, beneath the NHL level. The Canucks have structured this a little differently. They have three full groups. Group A is going to start, and then they're not going to scrimmage today. Uh, Group B and Group C are a little bit smaller, and those players are going to participate in a scrimmage later today. I I wonder if what they're going to end up doing is sort of scramble up the shortened group, if you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like they'll mm-hmm. scramble up the shortened group for tomorrow so that you effectively have, um, you know, like not the key guys scrimmaging twice. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd expect we see like, uh, you know, everyone will have to scrimmage at least once before Saturday and then they'll then there seems to be a more general group on Saturday. Group A, though. Group A, though, right off the bat has a ton of intrigue because you've got Pearson with Miller and Brock Besser, score one for me. That yes, was my big prediction, yester- a prediction yesterday. Prediction
0: from the show yesterday, and that that comes to fruition and, and here.
1: They've just stepped on the ice now. The main Group A has stepped on the ice. They're in they're in top line red today, as they were throughout last season. Miller, Pearson, Besser three of Vancouver's best players on the wall, three of Vancouver's most reliable two-way pieces. Uh, certainly, the, they're probably their two two of their three most reliable, Winners. clearly two of their three most reliable wingers, plus JT Miller. And, you know, that group is so good down low, had such good chemistry. We talked about how they create easier sledding for the rest of the lineup. Obviously, there's a lot to like there. Bruce Boudreaux agrees. He's beginning training camp, a training camp in which he said, right, He'd he'd like to trot out some of the lines that he'll use on opening night. He's starting with Miller between Besser and Pearson.
0: And and as you said, that was uh, not a huge surprise, but still interesting to see that group reunited. Yeah, not picking
1: my jaw up off the floor.
0: (laughs) But as we've been, it, it is interesting because as we've been having, and I'll run through some of the other notables on the ice in just a second here, Drance, but, you know, as we've been having these conversations about line conversations, or line combinations, one of the things that stood out to me is, even though the Canucks played so well under Bruce Boudreaux last season, it wasn't as if he came in and unlocked the kind of perfect combination, and we saw that game after game after game throughout Bruce Boudreaux's tenure. Really, the only unit we saw consistently together was the fourth line, uh, the the Mott-Lamico-Highmore line until Tyler Mott was traded, Uh, at the trade deadline, so despite the success, it wasn't as if you had these, oh, okay, you have to keep this group together, you have to keep this trio together. Having said that, early in Bruce Boudreaux's tenure, the Miller-Besser, sorry, Miller-Besser-Pearson Unit was really, really good and, st- and stood out. So no surprise to me to see them reunited here on day one in training camp. I'll run through who else is on the ice uh, in Group A. Though that's the headline well, or certainly sorry. a forward.
1: But what we we got to we got to talk about the defense core before we get yeah. into the other guys. Just the just the top pair because that's I think what everyone wants to know. You've got Ekman-Larson and Quinn Hughes playing together on paper anyway. Ekman-Larson on the left side. Let's see how it works. Let's see how it actually works over the course of camp. As I've been saying, I I won't be stunned to see them both take some spins on the right side of that pair. I I won't be stunned if Bruce Boudreaux allows them to sort out who's more comfortable on the right side. So let's see how that actually plays out. But Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes begin training camp on the same pair with Hughes at least on paper and surely on the whiteboard in that dressing room on the, right, on the side. right
0: side. Again, no no big surprise. We knew that was coming, but we're, we're seeing it. They are officially on the ice together in that capacity for the first time. So outside of that, those kind of five skaters, not a ton of other NHL potential regulars uh, in this group oh, A. You don't think so? Well, Pot- potential, but not necessarily guys who are slated to be in the lineup. Some dark horses. Life. Some dark horses. So I'll run through the other forward groups. Uh, next you have Phil Giuseppe Sheldon dries William Lockwood after that, Tristan Nielsen, Chase Waters, and Danila Klimovich, which Bruce told us, Bruce Boudreau told the media yesterday, he liked how they played in Penticton, so he was going to keep them they together. Were, they were very
1: complimentary of one another in Penticton. That that was a line that looked really good. I'm sure uh, Jeremy Colleton, who's on the ice with the main coaching staff today, uh, is thrilled for them to continue Absolutely. to build some chemistry in this environment.
0: And then uh, some of the deeper invites rounding out the forward group, Michael Rega, Sh- Yushiro Hirano, and Connor Lockhart as the fourth line. As you said on defense, here in Group A, OEL and Quinn Hughes, Christian Wallanen,
1: and Kyle Burroughs. So there's another guy, an NHL hopeful, but starting sort of in a spot that we'd call the ninth defenseman. Yes. Right? Uh, and we'll get into what the other groups look like, but uh, you know, if you're looking for two Canucks for whom it's looking like there's an uphill climb based on the way that Boudreaux has deployed his lines to open training camp, right? You'd, you'd pick out Kyle Burroughs in addition to Niels Hoglander, as the guys who look like their opening position... Is on the outside track, yeah, and then Quinn Schmiedman and Jet Wu, who also played together uh, in yeah. and on a pair. I, I won't be stunned to see them soak up a ton of minutes out in Abbotsford. So we're seeing some line rushes here, by the way, or not rushes actually, but we're seeing players uh, deployed in their lines for drills, a little little bit of puck handling and, and fitness work as Canucks training camp. The main group officially kicks off. Jamie, the Canucks' season is underway. It like, is. The it is season season underway. We're
0: yeah. here. We're doing it, Dancer. It feels good. And as you said, yeah, Kyle Burrows, one of the two standouts. We can talk about Niels Hoglander as we go through well, the groupings here, because in, in Group B, he's slated to skate with Niels Almon and, and Linus Carlson.
1: Yeah, and and uh, so let's. Uh, I want to I want to unpack a little bit more on Group A. Right? Sure. Sheldon Dries is an ex- excellent American League option, and yet. And yet, when he comes up to the NHL level, like the team views him as their 1C in the American League, <laughs> no question about it, but in the NHL, as a depth call-up option, they're far more comfortable with him as a winger, right? So this is very much Drys, DiGiuseppe, and Lockwood, a prospective American League line that we are looking at, and we, we know that because of how the organization views Dries in particular. All of that said, Phil DiGiuseppe stands out to me, as a really interesting dark horse bet to potentially challenge or at least make patrick alvin's decision really difficult once training camp concludes right this is a guy who first of all was drafted by jim rutherford right so there is organizational high level organizational familiarity with his game uh in terms of the candidates to be on vancouver's fourth line his career scoring rate is far and away the best far and away the best we saw how fast he was at training camp last year, uh, honestly, the fact that he didn't make the team out of camp last year was a shock. Uh, just go, went to show you how the pass management group valued Matthew Highmore. He obviously justified that that faith uh, with a really strong performance last year. But nonetheless, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe stands out to me as sort of a guy who maybe has an outside shot, and yet very much on a, a, a line to begin camp that looks uh, American League level to me. Also, Kyle Burrows. Now, you know, we talked about this yesterday that I thought the way that things were shaping up unless they make an additional claim or unless they you know shed an additional salary um, in order to the best way to maximize the Michael Furland capture on opening day or ahead of opening day is to waive one of Burroughs and Dakota Joshua and I said you know Dakota Joshua that was a that was a player that the Canucks recruited heavily right won the bidding for signed to a relatively expensive fourth-line contract, right? It's two years. It's 1.6-plus million. It's one way. Yeah. Um, you know, hard to see them making that commitment and then putting Joshua on waivers. And yet, as I as I sort of mentioned, at league minimum on a two-way deal, a right-handed shooting defenseman brings some toughness to the lineup, above-average skater. You know, Burroughs is, you know, not a safe bet, in my opinion, to necessarily clear. And yet, I, I, I can't sort of fathom being comfortable losing that body considering the question marks that still linger about Vancouver's right side and the question marks that certainly still linger in particular with Tucker Pullman. All right those are my those so, are my group A well, notes. Well I
0: want to talk about the Kyle Burrows thing a little bit because it it impact that that's the biggest surprise to me just looking at the roster sheet right Niels Hoaglander with what, what kind of looks like a, a dangerous AHL scoring line of young players with Niels Amon and Linus Carlson. that's not a great shock to me and we have people texting in saying oh my goodness uh, Hoglander is going down. He's on the top AHL line. I don't think that's a, a guarantee th- at th- all. There's that's, a lot of road to there, run there. There's a lot of time between we are, now. We are in. We are in the, in the beginning first, of the regular season.
1: Yeah, we well, we're in the very first uh, little snippet of like warm-up yeah. one-on-one battle drills. So like, as much can, as there's a lot of road here, as
0: much as it doesn't surprise me to see him there, I don't, I'm also not taking it as a sign that he's des- thats destined to be his fate. The one that surprised me more was Kyle Burrows with uh, Christian Willannon who was a signing in the, uh, in the off season, and very much, uh, you know, a, an Abbotsford Canucks player who maybe you call up in case of injury, but a guy who figures to play a really significant role with the Abbotsford Canucks. And I think the thing that I didn't factor in when I was kind of thinking, okay, who's the top eight? How are they gonna line up? Was Danny DeKaiser, who's here on a PTO. And so if you look ahead to Group B, Kaiser is playing with Tyler Myers in Group B. So, obviously, with a, a bona fide, no doubt about it, NHL defenseman. Now, yeah. let's not
1: bury the Group B lead, though. Let's get to the big forward line, and then yeah. and
0: then we can move on to Myers and DeKaiser. So, the big forward line in Group B is Elias Pettersson in between Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev. On the left side. And side. Ilya on the right side. And, and now, Ilya Mikheyev on the right side. Now,
1: Elias Pettersson, if you recall, right? If you recall his some of his, the best goals that he's scored in a Vancouver Canucks uniform, right? Think about his first goal. What His first goal, streaking down the right wing, mm-hmm. right? Pedersen on the power play, right? Right circle, right? There's a lot of people who, in this game, who I've watched Elias Pedersen shifts with or who I've watched Elias Pedersen games with. And one thing that's pretty common to talk about with Elias Pedersen because of the way that he goes into that A-frame, Right. Evaluates his options pretty quick on his edges, and the way that he snipes off his off wing. One thing that a lot of people will, will comment about watching Pedersen play, if they're really experienced scouts, is that he attacks in the Russian style, right? And what they mean is that he's most lethal on his off wing, right? Pavel Bray was a lefty who played the right side in Vancouver. Yeah, go down the list, Dubaschenko, obviously. K- but when yeah. the Canucks acquired McGilney, right? Everyone in this market thought, "What an electric group that is going to be," and yet. Their best moments in Vancouver always came on a separate line, or when one of the other one one was injured. Um, in part because both players were most lethal on their off wing. So Pedersen is between two Russian-born forwards who, you know, Mikhaev can absolutely play either side. I wouldn't be stunned if Andrei Kuzmenko can play either side. But realistically, Mikhaev was at his best last season playing on the right wing of Kerfoot and and Pierre Engvall in Toronto on a, on that third line. He played some on the left with Nylander and Tavares. Um, wasn't quite as dynamic, in my opinion, in that setting uh, for a variety of reasons. But the Canucks starting Pettersson between two Russian-born wingers on their off wings.
0: And that line, if, if I was kind of, if I had been jotting down what I thought we might see last night, I think the only thing I would have flipped from what we did see in terms of the NHL forward groupings, and again, it's Pearson, Miller, and Besser who are on the ice right now. In Group B, it'll be Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Mikheyev coming on the ice. In Group C, you have Garland on the left side, as we talked about, with Horvat and Colson and then a, a fourth line of Dakota Joshua, Jason Dickinson in the middle, and Curtis Lazar on the right side, which is another possibility that we talked about yesterday. The only thing I might have expected or thought could be different would maybe you flip Mikheyev and Colson. So you have Colson with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and Mikheyev with Garland, and well, Horvat. But in this format, maybe you lose a little bit of dy- uh, dynamic offensive ability with Makayev there, but you also give Pedersen and Kuzmenko a really reliable two way forward to complement them and play with them.
1: The, the, there's effectively a guy you could look at and say he's a defensive driver on both of the middle six lines, right? Horvat on the line with Garland and Bod Colson. Um, Mikhaev on the line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. I suspect that's why we're going to see it start this way now. You know, I mentioned Mikhaev with Nylander and Tavares, right? The Canucks have made a big bet that Mikhaev with more premium ice opportunities, more premium opportunities, higher up the lineup, and with more skilled players can do more, produce more, right? That, that's a big bet. Now, again, Mikhaev's baseline skills, because he's an exceptional skater, because he's such a responsible defensive piece, um, give him some cushion that he'll be valuable or useful, even if that's, you know, doesn't pan out. But... One thing to note, right? 450-ish minutes with Tavares and Nylander over the last two seasons. We have seen him in those opportunities. And the organization that preferred to use him on the third line, it's not like you'd look at the Maple Leafs and say, you know, the thing they're really bad at is figuring out which grinders complement skilled players. No, it, but like in particular. Yeah, right? That's the particular thing. And, yeah. That's the particular thing they seem to be pretty good at finding, identifying. Um, so, you know, Pettersson also is a very unique player in NHL terms because of his efficiency. He is an efficiency monster, right? Very few players rely, like 98% of the NHL over a large sample of games is going to hold a 5-on-5 five on-ice five, uh, on shooting percentage between 75 and 9.5% and the absolute best of the best your are steven stamkoses who does it with individual finishing your are crosby's in his prime who did it because his hands in tight were just outrageous right Your are connor mcdavid who does it because every shot he takes is a 33 percent breakaway um you know like the the guys who can reliably drive shooting percentage are few and far between and when and when you hear who they are you know exactly how they're able to accomplish it petterson is one of those guys petterson is a time machine type player who rolls when he's on the ice goalie save percentage back to the time when you know goalies were five foot nine and and smoked a pack during the game like during the intermissions (laughs) right um so there is a little bit of a risk here in my view of taking one of your best offensive players superpowers and instead of putting him with a guy who enhances it right putting him with a guy who who you know I think Pedersen will work with Mikhaev from a two-way perspective, probably work very well, and perhaps that can offset a little bit of a loss of efficiency. Perhaps Mikhaev's finishing game and the gains that he made last year hold up, and this concern is moot. Um, But, you know, I I sort of would comment on seeing it at first blush by noting that, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I, I wonder if it's a move that may blunt one of Patterson's most
0: important edges. And uh, as as Bruce Boudreaux calls the skaters in for to take a knee and, yeah, That's why uh, I, I lowered my system. voice yes. Yes. We don't want to interrupt no. We don't want to interrupt The important tactical discussion 100%. Happening So we'll try to be very careful As if we're broadcasting From a library here yeah. uh, when, but the other- when,
1: when the pucks are smacking Against the glass We'll talk loud yes. And when Bruce Boudreau Is trying to get His club's
0: <laughs> attention We, we might uh, we might pipe down a bit When he's holding forth We'll try not to be Too much of a distraction For the Canucks here yeah. But a couple things Stand out to me as well About Kuzmenko Patterson and Mikhaev As a line One is Well first of all I mean Kuzmenko is just such a a wild card and an X-factor not just here in training camp although I'm fascinated to see how he looks in training camp but obviously throughout the course of the season so I mean you can you can talk to the scouts who've watched him you can talk to the organization watch the tape from the KHL yourself but I think there's still just this level of uncertainty about how he's going to fit in an NHL setting so I mean, we're talking about okay. How are Pedersen and Mikheyev going to mesh together? Mm. Well, then you add a to- almost totally unknown player, and well, right. what, what that, what's that going to do to the mix? So, and I really don't have a good sense of that. I, I don't mean
1: to uh, digress, but as you were as you were explaining this, um, Quinn Hughes and Oliver Ekman Larson were having a conversation in center ice in preparation for the drill. And they were both in the middle of the ice, but they both were sort of changing positions between left and right before the start of the drill. And I'm just watching this like, so who's it going to be? So who's it going to be? <laughs> and uh, and it just it, it occurred to me how ridiculously comical that was. Ultimately, uh, Quinn Hughes ended up on the right side for this first drill. Um, that it's really their first rep as a pair in a drill, so I, I really was paying close attention to it. But they just happened to be sort of changing sides as they normally chatted on the ice, gliding about the ice. Uh, very funny to me. I, I suspect this is going to be a thing I do <laughs> all through training camp in the preseason, just craning to see which one's on the. And now, and now, uh, yeah, Quinn Hughes on the right again. Okay. Yeah,
0: the, the Hughes and OEL so watch. So Hughes really continues.
1: is. Hughes really is on the right. Um, you know, well, both 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 times through.
0: Uh, what their first drill as a pair. I mean we're 10 minutes into the, the first session here So they still have time oh, to mix it up a little you, bit. Y- yeah,
1: you, you check it you check it to see you know First time through right first time through second time
0: through that's my habit And if you do it twice in a row, I tend to think that's gonna be sticky The other thing that stands out to me about how the kind of top nine forwards are arranged and you know Look, we're looking at what what you probably would say is the bonafide number one line with Miller, Besser, and Pearson on the ice right now, as you mentioned, in the other two in the middle six lines, you have a, a defensive, a really defensively responsible defensive driver in Mikheyev uh, on one of them, and Horvat in the other. And I wonder if that indicates that we might see the kind of defensive tough matchup minutes dispersed throughout the lineup a little bit more, rather than fall, rather than saying, okay, we're going to have one line that has to eat all of these tough minutes. If you look at, hey, Miller, Besser, and Pearson, they can out- be out there in tough minutes. Certainly Horvat uh, and Colson and Garland, maybe we can find them some spots to be in tough minutes. You know, Pedersen, Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, maybe falls down that pecking order a little bit, but maybe not. If yeah, I, don't know, shows, I don't know about that. If Pedersen shows that he's able to handle those, those minutes, like I certainly think he's capable of. So I do wonder if we're going to see more of a kind of true top nine where each line is kind of asked to handle A balance of defensive and offensive responsibilities here yeah I mean I think the logic though of
1: Miller keeping Miller in between Pearson and Besser requires that they play toughs right I would say I would say a true top nine in terms of you have a a line that certainly projects to me to be a regular matchup group and then two sort of middle six lines that seem like they could be completely even right maybe you have an opponent where you want a little more you want a little more size matching up against them, and it, certainly down the middle, and maybe Horvat draws that assignment. Maybe you get a line where they're perhaps a little bit faster, and you want Pedersen and Mikhaev on the ice checking them. But to me, this looks like a pretty split middle six and, and a pretty and a clearly, clearly clear defined tough
0: matchups top line. Live uh, here again from Whistler, the, the mobile Kintex studio today, and 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. We got this question in. Uh, high sports Sportsnet 650. I'm wondering where Jack Rathbone fits into the D lineup. And, yeah, we ran through uh, all of the notable forward groupings uh, here, not just uh, with Group A that's on the ice, but for Group B and C that we're going to see later today as well. For the defenseman ones, as we talked about, Kyle Burrows is on the ice right now uh, with Christian Willannon. In Group B, Danny DeKaiser, who's here on a PTO, of course, will play with Tyler Myers. That caught my attention a little bit. Most and then, definitely. And then in Group C – it's Travis Dermott and Tucker Poolman, and then Jack Rathbone in the kind of memorial, uh, young offensive left-handed defenseman spot with Luke Shen on his right side. Sure, and that that is a, a formula we have seen work in the past here in Vancouver. So so let's let's let, let's dive into that a little. bit. Let's dive into everything there. Yeah. So as um, I can't
1: just can't keep my eyes off the left side right side thing with uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Larson, larsson I'm really gonna have to get over this uh, with Poolman. And Dermott, I want to start there, because Pullman and Dermott have, you know, Dermott's one of those guys, like, yes, you think about him in your mind, I as a puck mover primarily, but his primary impact on the game anyway is that his transition game limits the chances that other teams generate, right? Like, he's got a greater defensive impact, typically speaking, than he does offensive impact, and in fact, you know, I sort of wouldn't look at him as a dynamic offensive piece, despite the fact that we're used to thinking about smaller, fast defensemen as being, like, offensive defensemen, in this new NHL, right, he's sort of a transitional defenseman. Not not quite a transitional defensive defenseman, but a transitional defenseman whose primary value is, in fact, in his own end of the ring. Tucker Pullman, as we know, right, when he was healthy last year, his work on the penalty kill, his work late in games and leverage, uh, his defensive work was really good. The issue that he sort of had uh, was playing a little bit too high up the lineup, especially with Quinn Hughes. Yes. Where some of his puck handling, uh, like his lack of puck handling dynamism uh, took a little bit more off the table than what you want to take off the table offensively when Quinn Hughes is on the ice, right? But in your mind's eye, a dermot Pullman pair, even though both guys are, in my view anyway, best suited to playing a third pair role at the moment, Profiles sort of like a new NHL shutdown group, right? Both guys have a a, a decent level of defensive awareness. Uh, Dermot has that two-way hockey IQ, super fast. Both of those guys move really well, and so I sort of look at that pair and think there's an interesting chance that that group could be a little bit more than the sum of their parts. Rathbone with Shen, obviously, you know, it's sort of the Quinn Hughes uh, situation, like who's a better mentor, who's a better caddy for a young defenseman realistically than, than Luke Shett?
0: It's like, oh yeah, you've got a young, highly talented offensive left left shot defenseman, yeah. put him with
1: Luke Shett.
0: 100%. We, we've seen it work. We know exactly how it can work. And to be honest, I think that's a great spot for Jack Rathbone to be. I mean, could you 100%. ask for a better spot? Really, not just in terms of... the the potential chemistry and fit playing with a veteran like Luke Shen, but also I think what it says about how the coaching staff regards him because we know they regard Luke Shen extremely highly as well. That's
1: true, and yet if you were to number that pair, one, two, three, four, probably four, you'd number it four. Now, DeKaiser with Tyler Myers, among the groupings that we're discussing would have to be the biggest surprise, but one thing to keep in mind, right, is – and Boudreaux discussed this a little bit the other day, right? There are rules pertaining to how many veteran players you have to have in the lineup for any given preseason game. I believe the number is seven. And if you're sending a group to Calgary and you sort of need that extra vet in the lineup, like, could this be the pair that's going to Calgary as a first pair yeah. with some guys who wouldn't qualify because of their AHL experience? Or, or with the Shen-Rathbone pair... Because Rathbone wouldn't qualify because of his lack of NHL experience and his lack of NHL games last year, right? He wouldn't fill that, like he doesn't have the hieroglyphic that you can put on the lineup sheet and say seven vets, you know, we've given the season ticket holders, their due. So, I sort of wonder if that's a a relatively large part of this, as opposed to being, you know, that sort of stands out to me as one of the few moves we've seen that I'm maybe cautious about reading too much into, All the other ones, particularly after Boudreaux's commentary about wanting to roll out lines that look like his opening night lines, even though it applied specifically to forwards when he delivered that quote, uh, you know, have caused, I think, all of us to throw the usual Travis Green caution to the wind that that we're used to working with in terms of what it all means. Um, But that's one where I want to see a little bit more in terms of how it plays out, in terms of what their opportunities look like. Additionally, additionally, if you bring in a player like... Danny DeKaiser on a PTO, right? It's in his best interest and it's in your team's best interest to, like a week one fantasy draft pick on your bench, <laughs> know immediately yeah. if they're going to be useful or not, right? Like you, there's a benefit to, to putting him in some situations where right off the bat, right off the hop, without wasting a second, you know, you have the answer to the question, can he help us in a shutdown role or not, right? DeKaiser's several years removed now from being sort of a a template, like in that Chris of mold as one of the best defensive transitional defensemen in the sport. Uh, He's had some back injuries. They've zapped some of his foot speed. Um, But make no mistake, I mean, this is a guy with extremely high-level defensive intelligence, an exceptional four-on-five guy um, still to this point in his career. Does his mobility play? Does his mobility play? That's sort of the big question lingering around DeKaiser at the moment. But there's a, you know, if you're if you're going to get an answer to that, it's worth seeing him with a player like Myers and being able to make up your mind quickly as to does this work or not. I suspect that's what we're seeing
0: today with uh, with that particular lineup decision to open training camp. of all of the pairings on defense and trios at forward. The DeKaiser Myers pairing is the only one I'm looking at and saying I would be surprised if we saw that at opening night. Maybe not a major shock, but that's the one that jumped out to me and 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 I said, okay, that's probably not something
2: we're that's going fair. to see. I,
0: that's I, the only one that stands out to me as, oh, that that doesn't really strike feel and, right right off at first blush. And yet, if Hughes ends up on the right side,
1: right? If Hughes ends up on the right side, they are, are probably going to need uh, an additional
0: defensive oriented. Mm-hmm. Left side defenseman. Now, and here's a reason why I could be wrong about that, is because I look at the other pairings, and they all make sense to me. Right. So it's not as if there's another pairing that feels kind of funky and you look at it and say, oh, yeah, OK, you split to Kaiser and Myers up and you put Myers with this guy. And then it all makes sense, because as we talked about, Rathbone Shen makes a ton of sense. I can see Dermot Pullman. So there's not an easy reconfiguration that makes sense. So maybe I, I shouldn't be surprised if it ends up uh, going that direction.
1: Well, so my understanding of how this club is positioned, right, they're going to be very patient. But make no mistake, this team would still love to add another defensive body. Uh DeKaiser's here on a free look, right? So you give him that free look. You take that time. You do your business in the way consistent with everything else we've seen from this Alvin Rutherford front office. You, you do it patiently, and you sort of go through the process. So step one, you evaluate DeKaiser, mm-hmm. right? Um, step two, step two, you see what's out there on the waiver wire. You continue to explore the trade market, right? And while I agree with you that the defenders look set to this point, right? It's not like Shen with Hughes, right? Oliver Ekman Larson with Myers, and then whomever with whatever is the best defender you're able to affordably add, either in a trade or on the waiver wire, doesn't also make sense, yeah. right? Um, in any event, in any event, the Ekman Larson Quinn Hughes experiment is a fascinating one to load up your top line and see what you have, right? And then the DeKaiser with Myers move feels like a decisive step to get an evaluation, to get as many answers as you can about your defensive group in as short a time as possible. This to me, you know, while I think superficially, the defensive pairs almost look set or look like they could look on opening night, I think there's actually a fair bit of tinkering going on, a fair bit of information gathering going on in how they look. And and I'd say for that reason, you know, I would consider them far less settled Today, far less settled today, or at least I'd even say that we have a, a lesser sense of the positioning around the track. Right. Right? Who's who's in the outer lane, who's on the inside lane? I think we have a really good sense now what the shape of these forward roster battles are going to be uh, over the course of the next two weeks and, and into the preseason. I think on defense, it still feels very much like a work in progress to me.
0: And I think that maybe the only exception, and maybe it is not a full exception, but the only exception I might have to that is it looks like Kyle Burroughs is number 9 on the depth chart right now Danny DeKaiser pending right but because there's the other four pairings that are kind of clear cut NHL pairings and then Kyle Burroughs uh, skating well, right now But with you Group wouldn't A put him way. you wouldn't
1: put you wouldn't put him behind DeKaiser, would you No not at this point but it's so, just
0: yeah I, it, it's it's he's not getting the look that he, he's not getting that kind of okay you're definitely one of our NHL defensemen looks no he's right not now. he's, he's not. not and and hey, that's fair. It's good to have that sort of uh, it, it's good also, to have that sort of depth. It also reflects
1: contract status, right? He is the two-way guy among that group. In fact, Brady Keeper is also on a one-way and he's not. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see here, but yeah, I mean, there's also the cap mechanics angle that I've been talking about, right, where I sort of see the, the qu- quickest route to maximizing the capture to include, you know, one of him or Joshua ending up on waivers. It's really hard to see, particularly with Joshua getting that look on a fourth line right a potential opening night fourth line with Dickinson and Lazar Uh I mean it's really hard to see the club not being so invested in in the 26 year old forward they signed from St. Louis uh, that that's not even a consideration for them as we get down to brass tacks ahead of the and opening day roster, game. and we
0: had on that point, we had uh, a couple questions come in. So first of all, one saying, uh, "Can't they wave a guy like Dickinson?" And I think we will see. Oh, that. sorry, sorry. Uh, that was that's implied. It's a baseline point of view. Yeah. And then Snoop the Dog took it even a little further, who said, uh, "Could the Canucks paper slash wave veterans with bad contracts like Dickinson or Tucker Pullman uh, instead of other guys to avoid risking losing, you know, Joshua?" And well, what Well,
1: you could, but what you need to do, right, is you need to get as close to 81.5 on your roster and then put Furland on LTI so that you maximize his capture, and then you call guys back up, then you paper guys back up. Like, that's sort of how it works here. So Pullman, you know, would save you that 1.125 where he to clear. You'd be risking losing him for nothing, mm-hmm. a, a right-handed defenseman. Um, but you'd also only be saving, you know, some additional 400k more than you'd be saving with Burrows. Um, you know, I've modeled it with that, but you also don't want to get stuck in the middle. You don't want to end up at like 80.5. Too low. You don't want to end, up, yeah, too end yeah. up too low. You don't want to end up too because then you don't get the full capture benefit when Furlan goes on LTI. We'll, we'll see how this all, all uh, evolves. And it's really too early still to get too far into the weeds with it beyond just sort of having a sense of positioning. Um, But having modeled it, you know, I don't know that the Pullman uh, variation makes a ton of sense. Right. Um, You know, I sort of assume that Dickinson goes down and gets papered back up. I assume that Hoaglander and and Jack Rathbone do. And then I still think you need to do one of um, Joshua or Burroughs to to maximize your number to get the best possible capture. Um, But again, this is all subject to change should the Canucks make a trade before the start of the season or before the opening night roster deadline. Or should they claim a player off waivers, right? So it's still a little early, but that's sort of how I've got it modeled uh, to this point, and we'll see how it evolves over the course of camp. And, and look, it's early days, right? We're talking about it like we know the Canucks' opening night lineup. We don't. We do not. We don't. There's a ton <laughs> of road to run here. But there's an awful lot to read about exactly where the roster battles are and how they're shaping up with how Bruce Boudreau has deployed his uh, his groups to open training camp and what he's said about what we can Read into those groups Right yeah He did not play the
0: Oh well we'll try some things out So don't read too much into it Didn't yeah. play that card at no, all He played the opposite absolutely. Played, Yes I would love for this To be our opening line up uh- 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter as well. Our guy, Clay Emu, says, as we bring our, our voices back down to uh, library level here, he says, I love the way your volume and tone change when there isn't a drill going on behind you. It's like you're telling all of us listeners an important well, secret. I, and, you know, I, I feel like I'm uh, employing
1: <laughs> the Professor Snape approach to keeping the class quiet, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yes, listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and in relation to the the conversation we're having about who do you send down uh, to, to maximize your benefit from Michael Furland's contract, and, you know, Dakota Joshua, as you said, they invested kind of a lot, right? They're they're obviously very high on this player and what he can do on their fourth line, and you just look at, you know, as it's it, it'll skate in Group C today, but it certainly looks to be what you would call the team's fourth line, Dakota Joshua on the left wing, Jason Dickinson in the center, and Curtis Lazar. Well, we know they signed Curtis Lazar to a multi-year deal. He's an NHL veteran. He's going to come in and, you know, unless something goes completely haywire training camp, play an important role on special teams and all of that. He's there. Dakota Joshua, as we said, they're high on him for for, for very specific reasons. They won the bidding on him. They invested in him. You would have to think he has a very, very good chance be on that fourth line and then with Jason Dickinson You know he he would be the guy on that Group that you kind of look at and say Is his spot in danger But as we talked about yesterday Drance you know if you ever hope to First of all it's not as if you know, Jason Dickinson's had very successful NHL seasons in his career. Right? Oh yeah. So so there's there's a, a absolutely a world J- Jason where he refines that's been form. a matchup
1: centerman in the Stanley Cup final.
0: Hundred percent, right? So <laughs> it's not as if it's like this is not, you yeah. know, a guy on the absolute back end of his career and you don't think you can get anything out of him. He no, still he's, has he's, a, a role to play in the NHL. He's one
1: of those guys like I still don't understand what happened. Like yep. I still don't have a sense for what happened because he never looked the way he did last year or previously. And yet, last year, there was just nothing there. So, look, the Canucks, the Canucks need to find a way to shed one of those middle-class salaries as quickly as they can for value at some point, without paying additional assets to get off the deal, even if they're taking money back in the deal. Um, you're never going to do that you're never going to accomplish that if dickinson's not on your opening night line in in your That's opening the thing. Night lineup like- so
0: if you if you a want him to contribute to your team or b want him to rebuild his value to the point where you can trade him mm-hmm. he has to be on that fourth line to start and so maybe it's still the case that you know his spot in the opening like night lineup is still the most in jeopardy of any of the forwards but as we sit here and talk about, okay, who could be a dark, a dark horse to make the team? You know, Phil Giuseppe, right? Could, could Neil Zaman really impress at training camp and, and take a spot? Will Lockwood, it's just also really hard for me to see those spots because of all of the factors we're laying out. They're, they're kind of committed in different ways to all of those guys at the bottom of the lineup at forward right
1: now. Yeah, uh, no, 100% they are. And, you know, one interesting thing that we haven't even mentioned about that fourth line joshua lazar and dickinson all share one thing in common they can all play center they're Mm -hmm. all centermen Mm -hmm. i mean you know lazar can play on the wing joshua can play on the wing but like all three guys uh can play center and joshua has really good face-off numbers between the american league and the nhl albeit in a limited sample i'm not talking about you know a Bo horvat like sample (laughs) i was actually chatting with horvat after his availability quickly just about his injury um And, uh, you know, he he was talking about how the injury, the puck that hit him in the back of the leg, that freak accident, uh, actually went right through um, his sort of, like, uh, ankle guards, like the the shot blockers that guys wear. Um, And as a result, it was sort of still bad, obviously. It was a clean fracture. But had it happened and he hadn't been wearing those, it might have shattered the ankle. Like, it might have been so much worse. And... You know, he mentioned to me, he said, you know, there's nothing really I could have done differently gear-wise or there's nothing else that I could sort of do in terms of evolving my gear to better protect myself. He said, the only thing I should have done better was win the face-off. And I just thought to myself, like, you, you take 2000 a year.
0: <laughs> You're going to lose some.
1: <laughs> and you don't lose that many considering <laughs> you take 2000 a year. Um, so, you know, th- these guys have, the point is, is... Joshua's ha- got good face-off numbers, but it's not like he's seen the volume. No, no. It's not tested the way Horvatz is. So, you know, there, there's a fair bit of versatility with that group, um, and some decent speed on the wings with Lazar and Joshua. Joshua, you know, do I like in my mind's eye an energy line of Lazar, Joshua, and Hoaglander an awful lot better? I do, but you can understand why they'd ne- they need they. You can understand why Dickinson needs to be given the shot off the bat, at the very least. Whether or not he's actually in the opening night lineup, presumably performance will still dictate that. But you can understand why he's getting
0: this look to open camp. And that's why, you know, we have the questions coming in. Hey, guys, is Hoaglander still in the doghouse? Is he abbey-bound? We have another one saying, you know, what do you think it means for Hoaglander's future if he goes to the AHL? And I just think we're we're still really far from that. And, yeah, you can look at the lineups and say – you know, okay, he's on the outside looking in, but don't don't forget. I mean, there's going to be a 13 forward on this team as well, right? So there, it's not just fourth line or Abbotsford, right? He was oh, a healthy. He was I, a healthy th- scratch. I think it
1: is. Really, well, I wouldn't surprise was, me at all if he was a healthy scratch. In what's tonight. the benefit? He's not, he's waivers exempt.
0: The benefit is what's the benefit? He's here. You don't you don't have the kind of symbolic demotion of sending him to Abbotsford, right? It's a healthy scratch, which you've already done. And if you do want to try out Jason Dickinson for a couple games. See that it's not going how you want it to, you have Hoaglander right there. You haven't set him down, and you pop him into the lineup in a couple games. He's that's twi- that's the benefit. He's
1: 20 years old. He's 20 years old, man. Like, he's got to play. He's got to play. You can't have him be a. You can't have him in your game
0: plan as, you know, isn't
1: going to play game one. He, he can't be. He can't be. I mean, at the end of the day.
0: I'm not saying it's my, it would be sorry, my he's, game So plan. He's 21. It's not saying how, what, what I would want to do, but yeah. I'm saying it's a. To me, it is a viable middle option. Between, oh, I don't the, think so. The four fly going down to Abbotsford.
1: He's got to play. It's either he plays twenty-two minutes in Abbotsford or he plays however many minutes he can earn on this team, potentially in a bottom-six role. In my mind, anyway, um, for sure, without without doubt, he's got to be, he's got to be in a lineup in a premium role. If he's going to be a healthy scratch, that's I don't think that's tenable at all,
0: personally. That's I don't just, think that's it's just, tenable long term. Yeah, but to start the season. It wouldn't shock me. It would Uh, not shock me. Wow.
1: I I think that would be –
0: I think that's the worst
1: of – like, I can understand sending him to the American League. I still think that's uh, suboptimal, partly because I think he's one of Vancouver's seven best forwards. Like, never mind 12. I think he's one of their seven best forwards. Um, But, you know, if he's he's in the press box – if he's in the press box considering how his development has already been tweaked – uh, mangled, arguably, um, by some of the ways that this organization handled the pandemic. I think that would be, you know, certainly, certainly an error and 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 you know, real cause for frustration. I think from from the fan base and from Hoaglander's camp, to be honest
0: with you. If I had to bet right now on how it resolves, I would bet that he is he is in the lineup in the first game of the season. That would be my bet. Just because, as much as you can say, well, he was in the doghouse last year, And he was a healthy scratch last year. He's still so talented, and he's got an opportunity right now at training camp and in the preseason to show how talented he is. And my bet would kind of be, he proves that he, they have to find a spot for him in the lineup. So that's what I would anticipate happening. But yeah. I, 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 I think the other options are on the table though as well. He's also so high work rate. You know, like
1: you know what guys always seem to earn jobs coming out of training camp—the highest work rate guys. Right? Like, if you work like Hoaglander, if you win ba- battles like Hoaglander, if you have that fitness level that Hoaglander does, that youthful exuberance and energy, this is a good environment for you to stake a claim as a general rule. Um, so that's another factor here here to be mindful of. But I think with Hoaglander, the plans for him, you know, obviously, obviously he's got some ground to make up. He's got some trust to build. With Bruce Boudreaux, we'll see exactly how it pans out in the in the weeks ahead uh, as training camp and the preseason unfolds. But it's too early to say that he is, you know. Uh, I think it's too early to really get into game planning exactly how this how this unfolds to it for him um, because there's so much road to run in training yeah. camp. But I I think the organization I think the organization is certainly willing to bet on their player development model and have him go and play a major role down in. Um, down in Abbotsford What I'd be shocked by Like honestly I'd be shocked If they were willing to let him sit in the press box Even even if it's just intermittently I think that's the worst of all worlds um, and, and I I Surely the organization is smarter than that
0: uh, Rager Texan Couldn't it be a two birds with one stone situation By sending Hoaglander down Developing more him more While also building up uh, some of Jason Dickinson's value I mean that might be I don't want to say best-case scenario because I think best-case scenario is Hoaglanders in the lineup, but that's yep. a scenario where you can get value. Uh, in, <laughs> I don't want to say it's best-case scenario, but it's certainly a scenario. <laughs> it's a scenario. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and Ella from Coquitlam texts in, uh, is Elias Petterson being a, in, uh, put in a good spot Uh, with the two Russians on his wing. Shouldn't he be with Besser to maximize both of their potential? And Besser, look, I don't have any concerns about the spot that Brock Besser's in, right? He's playing with J.T. Miller. He's on the clear-cut top line. That trio with Pearson alongside them had a ton of success, worked very well together. They're versatile. They're skilled. I think that line is going to be just fine. I think Brock Besser's, if he's playing with them, is going to be put in a position to have great success. With Pedersen, and we talked about this a little bit more, but... I don't, think, I don't look at this as a challenging spot for him, but it is something that I am very curious about to see how it works in practice, right? I think there's a lot of upside for him to be with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, but I guess it is the kind of forward group where, again, questions not in terms of skepticism, but just curiosity about how it actually looks in practice. I would say I have more of that for that trio than any of the other ones involved. But having said that, it's Elias Pettersson. He can play with a lot of different guys and figure out ways to still be very, very productive. I, I
1: do think that over the you know next few years, this team will be at its best if Besser and Pedersen are playing together. But considering where they're at right now and the lack of... You know, I was thinking about this a little bit when I finished the show yesterday talking about how my concerns with the defense are more about the offensive game, how they facilitate transition, right? One of my concerns with Vancouver's forwards is that despite the fact that they have an enormous amount of skill and a ton of one-shot scorers, for example, I sort of wonder if they have enough defensive chops to sort of fit together, right? Like my defensive Mm -hmm. concerns about this team are more up front. Up front, yeah. And my my (laughs) offensive concerns about this team are more on the back end. And for whatever reason, people just associate defense with, Uh, defending and forwards with scoring, not realizing that the game's a little bit more connected than that. And in fact, you're always both attacking and defending all at once in this, in this sport. So, uh, you know, as I think through that, right, one thing that I think is still a limitation uh, for this, for, for this forward group is there's really only three, four, three wingers at the moment that I suspect have, you know, Bruce Boudreaux's, a priori, don't have to think about it. You're out in leverage. I trust you in toughs sort of uh, level of trust with the head coach. And Besser's one of them. Pearson's one of them. So if you're trying to build a matchup line, which it certainly looks to me like the Canucks are, a line that can control the territorial game, uh, dominate play down low, create easier sledding for the rest of your lineup, you know, having Besser and Pearson play together with, with JT is just – sort of the the configuration that makes the most sense at the moment. Now, you know, as much as it's early in training camp, much less, you know, we haven't seen a preseason game, yeah. you know, never mind the fact that you lose two games and then whatever you started the season with is out the window yeah. too as you adjust and, and try and figure things out. So, um, all of this is subject to change lines are subject to change in game. You have an injury, you make three changes to, to figure out your forward group. So, you know, taking all of this with a grain of salt, I do think that Pedersen and Besser have unique chemistry. I do think that ultimately this team's going to be at their best when they are running mates through and through. Uh, but you can see why they haven't gone to that at the moment. And, and I actually think this is the right first line for this team. Like Pearson, Besser, Miller was enormously successful last year. Once they were put together, that really keyed uh, their resurgence, particularly during the Boudreaux bump uh, eight-game win streak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I-, I think this was I think this was an obvious play for Bruce Boudreaux to go to. Um, and I have no concerns about where Pedersen's lined up for now, right? He's got, um, I mean, we'll see what Kuzmenko looks like. But again, again, in the spirit of knowing what you have, right, you're a right-handed playmaking lefty. We're putting you with our best left-handed sniper. In fact, one of the best left-handed snipers yeah. in the entire league. If you can't make it work with Pedersen, you're going to learn an awful lot about what you can, you know, expect from Kuzmenko uh, this upcoming season. And and it behooves the Canucks to know that without going through, you know, a month of games that count in October, particularly in a league where it's almost impossible to gain ground if you're out of a playoff yeah. spot by the by mid November it's a, it's
0: a good way of looking at it actually right we we're talking about it from Pedersen's perspective but from Kuzmenko's perspective what an opportunity to be, yeah. begin training camp playing alongside Elias Petterson uh, group A still on the ice might be winding down starting to wind down here a little bit we anticipate around 11:30 group B will get on the ice uh, there will be a scrimmage after we go off the air it'll be between group B and group C at 12.40, uh, and then the third group will get some of their own practice time later in the afternoon at 1.30. So a on, busy, busy day here. On the list of great things about covering the Vancouver Canucks, right?
1: The fact that their prospect tournament gets held in Penticton. Yep. And their training camp gets held in Whistler, right? It's not bad. Just showcasing what this province can be, right? Just showcasing the absolute apex, best of the best, of the province of British Columbia. That is... You know, a, a true uh, you know stroke of luck. That's one of the one of the absolute perks about having this club based in Vancouver covering them. Um, along with the passion of the fan base. Uh, one of the drawbacks, um, history of success. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, no. Uh But, yes, we are thrilled to be here. And, uh, yeah, I, I was doing the drive up with uh, Batch this morning. And, you know, it was I mean, gorgeous. Sensational. Yeah. Absolutely sensational. Early morning, all that I great. Know, sun,
1: sunrise over house sound. can and, and, yeah. and
0: I was definitely thinking, you know, if you were – from a different part of the world, right? You're Andre Kuzmenko. You're coming over to play in North oh, America I for the first Eyes time. wide, and, just like, what? Oh, I could get used to this. I know. I could get used to this. It's a pretty good advertisement uh, for this part of the world. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, get your thoughts in. And uh, as you said, Drance, you know, one of the other perks of covering the team is the incredible passion uh, that the fans have for the team. And I think we always – I, the marker for me of that is always – the appetite uh, that fans have to really dig into the nitty-gritty uh, and, and the minutia of things, right? And, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about this off-air. That, that's that's kind of what we want the hallmark of this show to be. So if you have questions about anybody up and down the roster, up and down the training camp roster uh, here, hit us up,
1: 650-650. Making your point exceptionally well, Marcus and Gibson asks, any chance Colin Delia starts in the NHL? In what other market would you have yes. a question about the third-string goaltender? I love it. Yeah. No, Uh, no. Probably not. The answer is no. But Delia was signed to a one-way deal, right? Clearly the organization prioritized getting a really sturdy third goaltender. Delia's AHL career save percentage numbers are actually better than Spencer Martin's, and his career save percentage numbers in the NHL are like 904. That's, you know, it's not average, but it's, it's within shouting distance of... NHL average, right? It's it's the Cooper rush of save percentages. It's <laughs> it's like totally fine. You're fine. It's totally fine. You're not it's not gonna win you a game, but it's not gonna cost you a game generally speaking. Yeah. And having that as your third goaltender is a massive, massive advantage perk necessity in the contemporary NHL, to be totally honest with you. Delia also I think already has his eyes wide open having gotten a chance to work with Ian Clark here, right? We've seen goalies come in, really internalize Clark's methodology, his approach, and become more than they were, right? Become a lot more than they were in some cases. Uh, If you're talking about guys like Jacob Markstrom, right? (laughs) I mean, forget forget Spencer Martin sort of establishing himself as a guy worthy of Mm -hmm. gambling on as a backup. Like, we've seen guys who are, you know, uh, non-tender candidates come in and become among the best goaltenders in the NHL. Um, Dehi, I think has already sort of begun to see w- the possibilities in, in terms of the game uh, the evolution of his own game. But, but it's gonna take a bit, right? Just like it did with Spencer Martin. Spencer Martin didn't arrive in Vancouver and by November no one was talking about Spencer no. Martin in November. It took him five, six months figure out exactly the system, level up, uh, really really adopt how Clark wants to play and internalize that and then he became something entirely different and ended up being a key reason why the Vancouver Canucks got, you know, nine points out of a possible 12 in games in which their third goaltender started, right? You want to know why the Canucks got so close to the, to the playoffs late in the year? Spencer Martin was a huge part of that story. So we'll see where it goes with Delia. Is he going to make the opening night lineup? No, obviously not. But but there is a chance that he's a big part of this team's story at some point this year.
0: Well, and it continues to real. the position continues to really look— like a, a, a organizational strength up and down the organization right? right and now there's there are question marks about how Spencer Martin will adapt to being sure the full-time NHL well, backup that's totally fair but I like yeah. that bet I think that's a very smart bet and if he lives up to that then all of a sudden your depth of goal in the crease looks really really well, good and you've locked in yeah. a year of upside in in a
1: world where you know uh Eric Comrie who's cleared or who's been claimed off waivers 10 times in the last three years uh, is now a two million dollar player right They've locked in a year of upside with Martin if he hits. But but you know they are counting on him to do an awful lot this season. It's a and bet. There's no doubt about it's, that. It's a it's a bit it's a bet and a high leverage one. And but is, it, is level up one of my new? Uh, chimes? Yeah, do that. I talk level up a lot. You've you've, you've added that into your. Uh, you know why my wife my camp. wife works in HR right? So that's one is of those. That one of their Yeah.
0: Level up. Um, oh my goodness. I'm surprised.
1: I'm surprised. I haven't referred to people captaining items. Like hey, uh, hey, um, do you want to captain this? Because <laughs> level up is for sure me just using my wife's terminology. Uh, yeah, that, that's.
0: Uh, I'm gonna have to think of all the guys. Like, we'll talk about your career ob- development ob- later, ob- Jamie. Obnoxious, <laughs> ridiculous corporate buzzwords <laughs> that we can uh, potentially filter in. Uh, we're, we're expected to be joined by uh, a member of uh, Canucks management here at some point, uh, or the Canucks front office, hockey operations staff at least, at some point throughout the course of this segment. Some other questions that are coming in. This one from uh, Amrit from Surrey who says, is Lockwood a dark horse to make the roster? And you never know, you certainly never know, but I would look at William Lockwood is a guy that you want plying his trade in the AHL and to be available for a call-up should the need arise. And I look at the one of the forward groups that's on the ice right now: Phil Giuseppe Sheldon Dries, and William Lockwood. And that looks like very much a group of guys who are likely going to be with Abbotsford. But you feel pretty good about calling them up to to help you out should the need arise in case of injury. Well, I'd right? call it,
1: I'd call it I'd call it a prospective American League first line. That's what I would call it, right? I would look at that, and I would say that is that is what you know. I'd write down in my notebook as the Abbotsford Canucks' first overall line. And, you know, Lockwood is the youngest guy on it by a lot, right? Uh, Di Giuseppe's 28. Sheldon Dry's 28. Lockwood's 24. So there's still some development path here. Now, at the age of 24, Lockwood has scored at a 0.5 points per game rate in the American League. He's come up now to the NHL and played something like 15 games off the top of my head, and he's yet to record a point. I think his speed has played. Like, I think his speed through the neutral zone, certainly he led the team in hits in his 13-game cup of coffee last season. I thought there was a lot to like from what he what he brought to the fourth line, and yet there's an organizational sense that he needs to use his speed to be more consistently disruptive if he's going to be in the lineup. Additionally... If you're going to be a non-scoring forward on the fourth line, right? If, you're, if your likely contributions are next to zero offense, right? The only way to be a regular, an impact regular, to provide real value to a winning hockey club is to be an ace on one side of special teams, right? Lockwood still doesn't have a ton of reps killing penalties. As a result, you know, the American League really becoming a high-end penalty killer, right? Right. That's sort of his path to maybe yet carving out an everyday job in the NHL um, it 's going to be some time like it 's going to take some time i don 't really consider him a dark horse because his need to develop is so obvious like the the, the area that he 's going to need to develop is so obvious in my view uh, it 's just really hard to see him beating out a guy like a Di Giuseppe or a Hoaglander or a Joshua. Or a Dickinson in, in, with Dickinson's contract status factored in here, um, so I'm sort of seeing him on the outside looking in for, for development reasons. Um, that's sort of that's sort of my view of where he fits into the pecking order as training camp opens here.
0: And the other, you know, we've heard the new Canucks management group talk about really wanting to emphasize the AHL uh, development process, right, and how important that was. Uh, when both Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alveen were in Pittsburgh to the success of that organization and William Lockwood it it just strikes me as such an opportunity to kind of see that play out in practice right for the exact reason you said okay this is ideally the type of player who would want to be a really effective penalty killer you don't want him learning that necessarily at the NHL level for a team that as we heard yesterday, has very high expectations to make the playoffs this season. The AHL is the perfect spot for him to do that. And I think that's exactly why you see you see him right now, as as you said, on a, uh, a kind of Abbotsford first line with Phil Giuseppe and Sheldon Drys. And I think, you know, as much as we um, we talked about Bruce Boudreaux's comments that, you know, these are opening night, potential opening night NHL lineups, NHL lines uh, that we're seeing here on day one of training camp Trans, I think you can also learn a lot about how things might be configured for Abbotsford in this coming Absolutely. season, not just with DiGiuseppe drives and William Lockwood, but also farther uh, farther down the list as well. And momentarily, here we will be joined by the general manager for the Abbotsford Canucks, uh, Ryan Johnson, tableside here at Whistler. Uh, Ryan, can you hear us all right? Yep. All right, great. Know. Well, first of all, thanks very much uh, for taking time to chat with us. Uh, how's it been up here in, in Whistler so far?
2: It's been great. Uh, obviously, a short time, and we've spent. You know, plenty of time here uh, before. So obviously, a beautiful place. The community gets uh, excited about having us here, and we're excited to be here. RJ, what what have you taken, or what can you take? What's
1: your approach for, with Abbotsford in mind toward using this environment to evaluate your players and your sort of roster battles that are that are sort of happening as a game within a game uh, at this training camp?
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, we you know we saw a, a great group and a great weekend last week in Penticton. You take a lot of positives from it. At the same uh, at the same point, you realize their competition, and now stepping into our big boys here and where they fit into that. And so, uh, I thought a lot of our guys that have a chance to be in Abbotsford performed very well mm-hmm. last weekend. But this is a whole another level, and uh, they've got to step up their game because we've challenged them to to come here to get noticed, uh, to push for a spot. And you know, you're respectful of. Um, These players, for they're done, but you can't respect them in practice. Uh, That's when you get in trouble (laughs) and you start standing around, and and it's noticeable from our standpoint, and I encourage these guys. You'll see a couple of them in this two-on-two battle down here (laughs) not being very respectful, and that's what I like because that's how you get Uh, noticed.
1: That's from experience, surely, on uh, from your playing career as well. Do you have uh, any memories yourself of uh, of making an impression at a camp by being perhaps not so respectful of the uh, more established guys? For sure.
2: I, I'll be the first to say, my my first training camp, I, I did a lot of um, stargazing and looking around at these players. My second camp, I came in, was in and ran around like I was trying <laughs> to hurt somebody. But I'll tell you this, the, the coaching staff and management, when it came time to make decisions, they respected the fact that I wasn't too respectful. And it eventually, you know, helped me find my way into the NHL. And, and Ryan, you know, one of the
0: interesting things about how the Abbotsford roster might stack up this year, there were some some high-profile veteran departures in, in Sheldon Rempel, Justin Bailey. Now, there's still some key players returning as well. Yeah. But it does seem like there might be more of an opportunity for some of the younger players in the organization to step up and take on a bigger role in Abbotsford. Is that something that you're really watching to see how it, how it transpires?
2: 100%. All by design. Uh, you know, we had some great people and great players that... Uh, did some incredible things for us last season, and it, by by no disrespect to them, but uh, organizationally, we've signed some guys, we've brought in some people that that we want to develop, and and it's hard when you have players uh, that are of that caliber that I've let go um, that they're eating up a lot of ice that you know could possibly go to some of these these players we brought in. I uh, we're going to be much younger. Um, we've made some changes, you know, in all positions to get younger, Uh, and I also think I've got a very young group of AHL bodies as Mm -hmm. well that um, they set a standard, and I think you see in Penticton, they... they (laughs) They've set a standard for this organization, which excites me a, a whole lot. Well, um, one of those young
0: AHL bodies, Tristan Nielsen. You talk about uh, being disrespectful to to who he's playing yeah. against. I think we saw that yeah. uh, in in Penticton certainly, and I think I, he he caught the eye of a lot of Canucks fans. Let's put it that way with his performance at Penticton.
2: Yeah, and probably a lot of other organizations as well. And and the one thing with Tristan is, you know, he came in uh, last season. I think probably not, uh, you know, admittedly in in as good a shape as he could have been probably didn't understand entirely professionalism, what it is to be a pro. We worked on it. We spent a lot of times, And I always say to people, uh, you know, the HL is, is a Christmas league for young players. As It takes them a while to figure it out. He did. Uh, the second half of the season, he started scoring and, and realized, okay, maybe these guys uh, uh, know what they're doing as far as some of the guidance given. Unfortunately, he ended up getting hurt and we lost him for the rest of the season. But he, uh, he went and saw our skating coach, spent a week, he trained his butt off, he's in phenomenal shape. Uh, he's probably gained a full step and a half in his skating, which is incredibly noticeable last week and even in the practice here just now. Uh, so, the sky's the limit for him. It's, he's another player that could have gone out and got another high profile AHL score or something like that. Uh, I've intentionally, he's a player that I'm hoping can grab a huge spot uh, in position in Abbotsford. Ryan, him and Waters seemed
1: to bring out the best of Danila Klimovic. Watching it, his first game looked a little bit like some of the things that I saw from Klimovic last year, and then game two and game three, um, some of the dynamic playmaking in particular looked like not a totally different player because we all know that he's got that skill set, but just a a level of uh, ability to think the game. Uh, How did you view the chemistry? that sort of came about really quickly between those three do you get excited about that
2: oh yeah very noticeable and and one of the things to talk to our coaching staff about was uh, when you have two worker bees like that Mm -hmm. uh, it was great for Danila to be a part of that in the sense of if you don't get to their level you look really bad really quick (laughs) and and we were I was excited to see I could see it in Danila's eyes and those two players as much as they're workers they create through their work. They're forecheck. They turnover pucks, and they both both make plays. And Danila stepped up his level and in intensity and his phys- physicality. And I mean, amazing for you guys. I'm sure you noticed the difference in a year between Danila where he was wow. and where he's now is night and day. And I know a lot of people questioned my decision to, to keep him in the American League last year. I could guarantee we wouldn't be sitting here watching this kid now mm-hmm. had we sent them off and have him go 60, uh, score 60 goals somewhere and, and how much he's improved and he's going to keep going improved. But it's players like that that we we insulate him and he learns from he's starting to use his teammates better than he did a year ago and he's taken huge steps uh made a huge commitment in the offseason stay in vancouver and train which again is showing so all, excitement all around
0: ryan i, I know we got to let you go but we really appreciate the time and uh, best of luck in the in the upcoming season
2: awesome thanks for having me i guess thanks appreciate very much
0: it. that is uh ryan johnson he's the uh general manager of the Abbotsford canucks and also assistant to the general manager of course uh in the front office as well as uh our guy C Mac was shooting daggers at me there to make sure that we allowed Ryan Johnson to get to the staff meeting. Well, yeah, they got go <laughs> to go, go evaluate. They got to go evaluate. It doesn't matter what he tells uh, us about Danilo Clovis. He's got to go uh, talk well, about it with the real it, decision makers, and
1: especially because you know Ryan Johnson has such a key evaluation portfolio, uh, particularly with the American League players. Um, the excitement around Tristan Nielsen, right? Is uh, and 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 Waters, honestly. Do not do not take Waters out of that equation either, right? Both of those guys, and as, as Ryan Johnson noted, right, caught, caught the attention of more than just Canucks fans. Yes. You know, perhaps some of the evaluators around the industry as well. American League players, players signed to American League contracts, tend to have NHL outs. So if they get an entry-level deal from another team, they tend to be free to accept them. Uh, there's been some players that the Canucks have, you know, had on American League deals who got signed to NHL deals by other clubs, left the Canucks organization in that fashion, and you know, perhaps came, came back to haunt the organization. I think about Antoine Roussel quite, quite regularly, right? who uh, was in, in the American League for the Chicago Wolves, uh, ends up signing an ELC with Dallas, becomes a really, really good bottom six player for a stretch of seven years, 600-plus uh, NHL games on his resume. Um, not that Nielsen or Waters is likely to have that level of success, right that's a that's an outlier case, but you can see it like you can see it in terms of the way that they move. I think they're both solid skaters. Nielsen, I thought was a pretty good skater last year, but clearly has as Ryan Johnson said, and it was noticeable at the tournament taken an additional step. Um, meanwhile, Vancouver has forty five contracts, right Vancouver has forty five contracts. They have some space. Mm-hmm. To play around here. Now, maybe that's a PTO signing. Maybe that's Kaiser, right? Maybe that's space to make a waiver claim or two. Um, but but one wonders, too, if they may consider protecting some of their sort of double-A guys, right? Because they've effectively built, like, this double-A level of their organization. Guys who aren't necessarily going to come up immediately. But you may, you may get that call-up to triple-A, which would involve signing an ELC yep. and becoming a call-up option at the NHL level. Um, I wouldn't be stunned at all to see one of Nielsen or Waters, or maybe both, uh, converted at some point this year, particularly if what we saw in Penticton and what we saw today, because that line looked pretty good again in that first on-ice session, um, you know, particularly if that is
0: signal rather than noise. Yeah, and with them getting the opportunity to play with a really high skill... High pedigree in terms of his draft slot prospect uh, from Danila Klimovich as well. That That's very interesting. I thought it was also fascinating. It's always great. R- Ryan Johnson always gives you fantastic insight. Oh, yeah. But to hear him very much, not that he needed to defend it to us, but just in general defend the decision to have Klimovich in the AHL, saying, right, this ultimately you're going to see the benefits of that and it sounds like they expect to see the benefits of that pay off for Danilo Klimovich this year in Abbotsford
1: we do need to keep those expectations modest though right 19 year olds do not regularly play American League hockey it's a very hard league if he gets to 20 goals as a 19 year old we're talking about him as a blue chip blue chip prospect right if he is just able to establish himself as an everyday player, an everyday middle six guy, if he's at .5 points per game, right? If we're talking about a 35-point 19-year-old in the American League who was an everyday fixture, who's not being healthy scratched in the playoffs, who's contributing on the second power play unit, like if we're talking about that, then then, then that's progress. That's Danila Klimovich putting himself in position to be like a point-per-game guy at 20, in the American League, which would make him a top-end prospect. Not like a A++ prospect, but like a solid B, B+, you know, Jacob Pellice quality um, prospect with a chance to make the NHL at the age of 21. If he does more than that, like, that's my baseline for, for progress. And, I'm, and I just want to set that so that everyone keeps it modest when, when you're talking about a 19-year-old playing in as difficult a league as the American League is. If he leaps anywhere over that bar... We're going to start to get excited in this market, right? Like, but but that's where the bar is set. That was that's what progress would look like. It looks modest. It really does. And if he starts to jump over that at this stage of his career, oh boy, there is no question though that that upside is virtually limitless. I've been really skeptical of him in the past. What I saw in games two and three in Penticton has me. You know, not not convinced that he's likely to be something more, but has me certainly convinced that he's one of the most fascinating development projects, Not maybe not just in this
0: organization, but anywhere around the league, because there's just so much, so much potential. You know, the other thing that I think will excite a lot of Canucks fans is hearing him say that it was very much by design, that they did not invest in heavily as In the you know kind of quadruple A uh, Call up ready NHL players And instead they're going to be relying on The young players to carry more Of the load right you're turning it into you know, Obviously they still want Abbotsford To be extremely competitive they want it to be successful But also maybe focusing a little Bit more on development at that level Or at least giving those young players Like Danilo Klumovich, like Tristan Nielsen An opportunity to be key guys For Abbotsford Let's, let's, let's debate the wisdom of that on the other side Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenue-machinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, and Canucks' preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black & Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Black & Lee Dot com. And we are coming to you live from the mobile Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. We just uh, chatted a few minutes ago with uh, Abbotsford General Manager Ryan Johnson, uh, and we are hoping to be joined tables by, tableside in just a few minutes by J.T. Miller, who was on the ice with the first group of Canucks skaters here In Whistler, Uh, so hopefully JT Miller will be able to swing by and have a chat with us as well. The goalies for Group B, Drance, are on the ice right now. That is Archer Silovs and Spencer Martin on the ice. Canucks coaching staff starting to take the ice as well. So we expect to see the remaining skaters uh, for Group B hit the ice in just a few minutes here. And some of the notables from that group Elias Pettersson, who again slated to be on a line with Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, Niels Hoaglander, who's skating with Niels Amon and Linus Carlson. Uh, and also Danny DeKaiser and Tyler Myers on defense, uh, slated to be part of Group B. So we'll get you updated on that uh, as they hit the ice here. Now, just before we uh, went to break, we were talking about the comments from Ryan Johnson, that the team consciously decided to give more of the load in Abbotsford to some of the younger players there, right? You saw departures like Sheldon Rempel, like Justin Bailey. Not to say that there's no veteran AHL talent left on the team. Of course there is. But you're also expecting to see young players play more of a role. Mm-hmm. You you have some thoughts on that. It's going well, to shock people to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: here, here's the thing to note, right, is that while they did have this luxurious veteran-laden lineup last season, they needed it. You know, you think about guys signed with Abbotsford in mind last season who ended up being key contributors in what we saw from this team over the last 57 games. I'm thinking about the Brad Hunt, Kyle Burroughs, Nick Patan, Sheldon Drys. Like, Sheldon Drys scored power play goals for this team down the stretch, right? There were Spencer Martin, obviously, is like, highline um, or sort of the highlight guy of that group. But this team got really meaningful Bottom of the lineup contributions from a handful of those quad A guys, signed to be those quad A guys, either spent the whole year up here or were ready to come up and and play well when called upon. Even Sheldon Rempel in the game that he got into against the Colorado Avalanche was all over the place. Like, I thought he had a really strong game for this team. Going young does, to some extent, lower your floor a little bit, right? So there is some give and take there. We know and we've seen how much this organization has invested into their player development apparatus over the course of this offseason. It's a clear uh, priority, right? A marquee priority for this group is to do better in terms of capitalizing off of the AHL ranks in finding NHL players. And we all know that that's been an issue for this team over the past five years, 10 years, right? Um, certainly, since that like Hanson Raymond, you know, BX of Burroughs class, mm-hmm. like all hit after coming through the American League, Kessler too. Um, you know, this this organization hasn't had a ton of it. They do need more of it. They've invested in it. We'll see if this pays off. But there is a cost, right? There is a cost or a risk that the organization's also assuming in pursuing this path, um, and that and that is a sort of risk of lowering your floor when injuries do crop up. We'll sort of see exactly how it plays out as this
0: season
2: and gets there, underway.
0: There are still some of those types of players
1: yeah, that we're Christian
2: talking
0: about Yeah, Christian Christian who they signed. And
1: by, by know, the Noah way, Noah Juleson
2: is
0: still there
1: as the well By the way, a the really right good side. signing. Wolanin's good. Like, Wolanin is totally capable of giving you good NHL games. Noah Juleson, same thing. I liked... I liked five of his games and I didn't like one of them, but I, like he played really well I thought for the most part on balance and for you know, the Canucks in a depth role from your AHL
0: call-up, but yeah That's a, that's a pretty good ratio. Take <laughs> I'll <You'll> take it <laughs> five take out of six. It. Yeah, there, that'll there,
1: work There were moments where it looked like there might be something there. So yeah, I mean you're right They're not completely devoid of it. It's just the volume of guys that ended up being Genuinely useful or even high leverage contributors for this club last season is worth noting because they have dramatically altered the approach following a season in which, in my view anyway, their approach paid off right, like their approach paid off at the NHL level, we sort of saw proof positive
0: I'm, you know Just worth noting as they change direction. Well, I'm also really curious to see just how Abbotsford performs as well, right? Because we know that's a priority, and especially understandably so with it in the market. Mm -hmm. You want to give your fans in Abbotsford and the Fraser Valley something to cheer about. You want to give them a fun, exciting, competitive team to watch. Now, I do think, you know, with with the Niels Amon and the Linus Carlson's and the R.G. Baines's, not necessarily all of them are going to hit as you want in year one, but that's also another thing for fans to get invested in is the development of those younger players. Sure. Uh, and hey, if they do, you know, produce and play well at the uh, AHL level, uh, that's awesome. That's a great bonus that uh, that you've landed yeah. on. So it's a, it's an interesting uh, change in approach. I do wonder if it's maybe pays dividends farther down the road than this year right away. Right. right? It's the kind of thing that's designed to pay dividends uh, farther down the road as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can always get your thoughts in. Uh, again, 6.50, 6.50. It's uh, Canucks Hour here, special bonus two-hour edition, final segment of the show with myself, Jamie Dodd, and Thomas trance Group B is on the ice. Right now, that means Group A is off the ice, and we are very pleased to be joined uh, by one of the guys who skated in Group A, Canucks forward JT Miller. Uh, JT, thanks very much for doing this. What's uh, your first taste of a Bruce Boudreau training camp been like so far?
3: Yeah, it was good. A lot of different drills. Um, Very high pace, as as we expected. Lots of up and down. and um, I'd say more like line rushy stuff, which is is good to get the execution down early on in the season. So, you know, just about uh, a lot of skating on day one, for sure.
1: No 40s skate, um, but there were some line rushes or some suicide-type skates toward the end. Um, Compare and contrast with what you've seen in years past.
3: Well, that was a little longer, Yeah. but uh, I don't know. I think with with Greener and his camps prior, it was just more reps of the same drills, but uh, that was different. Um, But I tell you what, I mean, we basically were doing the 40s there. I mean, at the end with the back checking, so... Never say never, you never know I guess, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know for sure, but uh, um, I mean it felt like we were doing them basically, was, uh, but that's how it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be hard.
1: Was, was there a point of emphasis at all, I mean I'm, I'm broadcasting up here so I wasn't watching as closely as I would be usually, but did look like there was some like four-check breakout work happening in the meat of uh, in the meet of the session, was there anything else that was sort of a point of emphasis to get done on day one?
3: Yeah, I, I think just get our legs under us, uh, <laughs> we haven't done a whole lot with the weekend and then the golf tournament right. and then the travel day yesterday, so uh, get the legs back under us, um, try to execute, like ice got pretty bad there at the end. So I think guys are just really, you know, working on execution, try to be sharp. It's easy with ice is good and your lungs are fresh, but at the end there is when we got to bear down and that's, you know, simulates a third period. So uh, it was a hard practice for sure. You you were skating together with Tanner Pearson and Brock Besser today. And we heard Bruce Boudreaux say yesterday, you know, he's going to
0: put some lines together here that he thinks could work on opening night. We know you three had had success when you did play together last season under Bruce Boudreau. What makes that a, an effective group with, uh, with you and Brock and Tanner?
3: Well, I think a lot of experience, and uh, we've had a lot of reps together over the last couple years, especially last year. Um, I think we all know what we're bringing to the table, which makes us very effective. You know, we all have a good relationship. You know, we talk a lot about a game plan, and it's a direct style of game. Um, I think we're all on the same page that we need to play forward, and then when we get a chance to make plays, make plays, and... I mean, you got, you know, Best in the hole that uh, has one of the better shots from there, and Tanner works as hard as anybody and goes to the net. And I'm trying to get the puck off of those guys. I mean, we have a good fit, and, you know, I'm excited to, you know, hopefully start, but it's just one day, so who knows. It also profiles, at
1: least on paper, as, you know, something of a, of a tough minutes line, right? I mean, we know how reliable Pierce is along the wall, but also defensively. Uh, Besser's probably underrated. Everyone talks about the shot, but in terms of his wall work, right? Mm-hmm. He's probably underrated in that you've talked a lot about wanting to challenge yourself defensively uh when you see line mates like that you know eyes, eyes eyes wide open like is that something that's exciting for you
3: well we have so much depth now i don't know if we know 100 percent what the role is going to be but i think we have multiple lines that can go out against anybody's line which is really exciting but no matter who i'm out against my game shouldn't really change um you know and we all know that we can't just go out there and play pong hockey but that's not our game that's not what works well for us you know. We've had a really good forecheck in the past, and getting in first and getting coming up with pucks, and pucks to the net is how we score a lot of our goals. So, uh, But that being said, I think if we're out there against the other team's top line, we know what the priority is, and that's uh, keeping the puck out of our end.
1: Well, and controlling play down low was something that the three of you seemed to do really well when you got a chance to play with one another toward the back half of last season. Uh, what is it about them that maybe makes you play more like that, or, or that makes your line effective in that sort of more territorial aspect?
3: Well, Pierce and I have been around a long time. You know, on his end, we know what works for us at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk to you guys all the time. When I'm playing direct and straight lines and opening ice up to make plays, that's when I'm at my best. So we're on a very similar, same page. And I think with Best, we talk a lot as well. Like, he's come a long way since my first year here in a sense of moving his feet and playing direct. And I think when he plays with us, we all play like that, to get to your point. And um, it's just a good fit, I think. And, you know, we're easy going with each other. I mean, we kind of just know what works. There's really no guessing, and we don't like to wing it and try to stick to that game plan. You talked yesterday, at JT, about, you know, really wanting to focus on your 200-foot, your defensive game down the middle.
0: Does it help you when you're trying to work on that to have guys like Pearson and Besser to play with, who, as grant said,
3: very, very reliable, responsible defensive wingers as well? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it shouldn't matter who I'm playing with, but at the same time, to get to the, you know, the point of the question, I think, was, if, you know, this is really a good time to work on it. Like, we did some drills today where I funneled back low and not worried about what happens other than me, you know, separating the man from the puck or just keep not letting him get to the net. Just things I'm really conscious of right now, and uh, like I said, if we can get the puck out of there quicker, I think our skills and instincts are just going to help us take over in the, you know, the quote-unquote fun part of the ice.
1: Uh, have you spent a lot of time in Whistler? Is this your first time up here?
3: I've been up here for about three hours with my wife for lunch, and then we drove back once. <laughs> uh, I haven't been up here much. I don't ski. Um, I'd probably be at the bottom of the mountain waiting for everybody. Uh, but, uh, Longhorns? Don't, that's right. Uh, I do know where that is, That's about, but I don't know anything about Whistler, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to go try to get out today. It's a beautiful day, so I'm looking forward to
1: it. And... With regards to some of your commentary yesterday in that press conference setting, you know, there was a lot of talk from Bruce, from Bo, from everyone up there about, you know, the importance of making the playoffs this year. But you went a little further in terms of where your sights are trained. You talked about wanting to compete for the Cup, wanting to play meaningful games, like, you know, early into the summer, right? Um, Is it important for you to aim high from from just your own sort of goal oriented going into this season, keeping your eyes sort of set on, you know, a really high point on the horizon.
3: Yeah, I mean I and I'm sure that comes down to the person, but for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care if we're playing cornhole or darts or like I want to be I want to win and like I think that we have a very competitive group in there and I've lost in a lot of you know handful of first rounds and making the playoffs is not going to the conference final and playing in that environment. And we need to be shooting for that. We need to be playing to play for you know, a Stanley Cup. I mean, when you get in the playoffs, as we've seen uh, you know, in Tampa, we had the best record of all time and in lost in four. Like you just got to get in the playoffs. So get in there, have our sights for winning the Stanley Cup. And obviously it's very hard to do that. But if that's our goal, come up a little short, go a couple of rounds, get some experience. It's just we're just going to get better from that. So, you know, you know, my goal is to win the Stanley Cup and obviously it's a long process to get there and it starts in camp. So We'll worry about that when it comes. <laughs> I think it <laughs> has a long-term goal. I mean, I think it would be crazy for that not to be your goal. We're in conversation with Canucks forward JT
0: Miller here on Canucks Hour. We'll let you go in just a second, JT, but, you know, we don't have to rehash what happened at the beginning of last season. What's the key to getting off to a, the right start this year for the team?
3: Yeah, we did a lot of talking about I mean, it wasn't ugly for us at the beginning of last year. Like, we had a great road trip to start, 3-2 yeah. and 1 on the road. Uh, couldn't ask for a better way to start it, and then we just couldn't seem to finish it. So I think just bearing down and Really at home, establish ourselves as a better home team. Um, And special teams ended up being a big part of that. So I think you just got to bear down on all facets of the game. and That's really going to help you get off to a good start. I mean, you look at the record around the league for... Guys that don't have good starts and it's really hard to claw back in the playoffs as you saw with how we played So I think we're just really focused on a day-by-day basis. It's super cliche, but you know Worry about each day getting better every day and you know worry about game one when it gets there uh, JT
0: we really appreciate the time but uh, enjoy the rest of training camp. Thanks Ed.
3: That is Canucks forward JT Miller
0: chatting with us tableside here uh, Live in Whistler at Canucks training camp and uh, as always with JT Miller candid, insightful, and uh, I, I Particularly enjoyed uh, well first of all I thought it was interesting to hear him Reference specifically taking care of business at home Mm. uh, as as not obviously something you want to do in general But specifically as an antidote to slow starts right like just go out and be a great great home team That that takes care of business in those games uh, that you expect to win. I thought that was interesting, but also His commentary uh, when you asked him about you know, not just making the playoffs but competing for the Stanley Cup and to hear him kind of recount his personal experience with yeah, I've been to the first round and lost It's not that great. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't feel that great, right? I want yep. more
1: than that And also <laughs> he he also made the uh, Cup final with us with a team that no one thought would be there with the New York Rangers, right? I mean They had Henrik Lundqvist, but like that wasn't that that first Alain Vigneault season was not that team wasn't considered a No, you know front-runner by any means so you can understand why he's got that perspective um, but look, aiming high, amen. Like amen. I, you know that's that's the the commentary from J T Miller about aiming high. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll just ignore the uh, part about anything can happen. But the but <laughs> you, the uh, you didn't
0: jump in there. huh? Whoa! <laughs> no, hold on! Hold no, on!
1: Not with J T. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the uh, but the ambition there. The ambition there is what you want, particularly from a player you just signed long term. But from every level of this organization, like that's. That's the sort of thing that I think Canucks fans should be welcoming. Um, you want excellence. You want excellence. Like, you want to watch excellence. I want to cover excellence. We all want this team to be excellent. JT Miller does too, and he's talking the talk.
0: Well, and the thing I like about his answer and his perspective on that, and I think it came through in front of the media yesterday as well, is he's, he's threading the needle between setting that standard high without being kind of naive about the team's chances to compete for the Cup this year, right? Like, you heard him acknowledge, hey, yeah, you got to set the standard high. I'm well aware of how incredibly difficult that is, right? And maybe we don't get that. We don't get there this year, but we can still have it in mind as what we ultimately want to accomplish and use whatever does happen this year uh, as a building block in that direction. I think that's a very healthy appropriate attitude, right? You have the, the stretch ultimate goal, that's that's always in your mind, but you also recognize the steps that you have to go through uh, to get there. So I really like that perspective from J.T. Miller. 650-650, again, is the uh, is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Final few minutes of the show here, live from Canucks training camp in Whistler. We had a question come in um, earlier, just asking us about the schedule today, the schedule for Friday as well. So Group B on the ice right now. And it's uh, Elias Pettersson, Andre Kuzmenko, and Ilya Mikheyev uh, who kind of highlight the forwards in that group. And they're at center ice having a little discussion about how they want to handle some of the drills and some of their their chemistry right now, uh, the three of them. They're on the ice right now at 12.40. There's going to be a scrimmage between Group B and Group C, who haven't hit the ice yet. Uh, Group C will get their own practice time post-scrimmage. And my understanding is it's going to, follow that schedule pretty closely tomorrow, probably on Saturday as well, although things might be a little different on Saturday. So it'll be that kind of schedule. You know, group one group gets on at 10.15, another one at 11.30, scrimmage, and then a final group practice. But and Saturday Saturday
1: is going to be the same. We're not going to have a wider team scrimmage on Saturday. All right. Oh no, are we Oh, I I'm,
0: I'm wondering. We might change up a little bit uh, on I would I would, I would expect, expect there'll be a little bit of a Traditionally
1: on traditionally particularly because you know there's there's a few hundred Canucks fans here. Maybe maybe 3 or 400 Canucks uh, No, probably 2 and a half, 250 Canucks fans here. But of course, it's a work day, right? Like it's a it's a Thursday's, yes. you know, morning. Uh, hard for everybody to get out here. But on Saturday, historically anyway, like, the viewing room is packed, right? There's not a there's not a place you can sit or stand and, you know, watch the ice. Historically, anyway, that's how it's been. I see no reason why it wouldn't be like that on Saturday again. And and usually the organization's taken that opportunity to put on a show and, and take a real look at evaluating their players. And, you know, I have some memories standing in this rink watching Troy Stetcher beat out Jordan Subban for, you know, a, a meaningful sort of spot Um, You know, Stetcher didn't open the season either with the team that that season. He he had to play two games in Utica before becoming a full-time NHL player. But you could see it over the course of that scrimmage that, you know, the the player considered to be this organization's best young guy on the blue line changed, flipped. Um, You know, I've seen a lot of moments like that. Like that that last scrimmage of camp uh, is a real opportunity for guys to make a major impression, to alter their fate and standing in an organization. And when they do it in front of, you know, almost a thousand Canucks fans packing into an arena that probably shouldn't (laughs) accommodate that amount, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, there's something romantic about it. Like, there's something great
0: about it. Um, and, I, and I hope that's what we get And uh, our schedule will certainly adapt on Saturday Because we'll be on 11-2 to 2 With with making room uh, for Batch to call Play-by-play of that scrimmage On Saturday, so look forward to that I do want to just say, they're doing some odd man rush drills here Drance, and uh, Elias Peterson at one end Just made a very, very nice feed To Andre Kuzmenko for a nice one-time finish There you go, uh, past Spencer Martin So, the d- chemistry is building already And Danny De Kaiser. Danny De Kaiser? Do I have that right? Yes. Okay, good
1: uh, Danny DeKaiser, who is on a roll, is taking turns with both Noah Julson and Tyler Myers. All right, and he and he has to this point throughout the throughout the practice. So, although the name on the uh, on the page, you know, certainly caught our interest in practice, and unlike with Hughes, who spent the entire time with OEL. Right, The reality matching what we're seeing on paper. Uh, This looks a little bit different. This looks a little bit more traditional PTO than maybe we would have thought when we first saw the lineup sheet this morning.
0: Uh, No surprise there. I also did want to say Elias Patterson just had a a filthy... Filthy bar down snipe. Oh, yeah. Is, is he so. good at shooting? Elias Petterson, yeah. Pretty <laughs> can, good.
1: Can he rifle a puck? Pretty good. Oh, I'll, and, have to, uh, I'll have to I'll have to watch he, close I'll have to pay close attention to this NHL you know, hopeful.
0: As you said, um, <laughs> as you said to JT Miller, you know, we're doing we're doing the show, we're talking to each other, I'm looking at the inbox and the reads and all that. So I'm not able, when we're on the air, to always play as close attention as you want while we're doing the show, but both times I've just kind of looked up and followed the action on the ice. It's been Elias Pettersson making a filthy play on the <laughs> on the on- odd man. Well,
1: you know, one thing, one thing, my, the very first training camp I covered for the Canucks uh, when I came back from Florida was 2009 in Victoria. And there was an imperious... 2019. But what did I say? 2009. 2019 in uh, in Victoria. And there was an imperious sense about Petterson Like he was trying to put his stamp on the fact that this was his team. And the last couple of years, I've noticed it be a little bit absent. Like he, j- it just it wasn't the same sort of uh, rip-your-heart-out mentality in scrimmages. You know, he didn't dust his group in the 40s skate, and you know he could have. Like, just, like, little stuff. Um, I would love to see Pettersson just assert himself from the, from the gates this year, because his best season in the NHL, his best two-way season in the NHL, the season in which he made a name for himself by going to the dirty areas and being a point-per-game guy at, like, 170 pounds in the playoffs, like, that season, he was absolutely dialed right from the get-go. So let's hope we see that from him this week in Whistler.
0: That will do it for us today. We're back here live in Whistler again, 10 a.m. to noon tomorrow. The People Show with Bick and Randeep is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.